Hello everyone and welcome to the first edition of My Inspiration, a brand new podcast series from HMV in which we give musicians, actors, filmmakers and producers the chance to take a welcome break from talking about themselves and instead talk about their greatest inspiration, someone who has been a big influence on their lives and informed their own work. I'm your host Tom Goodwin and I'm delighted to welcome you to the first episode in our new series. I'm joined today by our producer James Forian and of course our inaugural guest. Our guest on today's show was born in the Northern Irish city of Derry and has enjoyed a career spanning more than three decades, during which time he has released more than a dozen albums, contributed to the soundtracks of TV shows like Doctor Who and films like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He's even written the theme tunes for much-loved TV comedies like The IT Crowd and Father Ted. He's best known, however, as the founder and chief creative force behind the Divine Comedy, and I'm delighted to welcome our first guest of my inspiration, Mr Neil Hannon. Thanks, Tom. It's good to be here. <laughs> now, we've got you here to discuss... Um, your biggest inspiration, but aside from that, there's also the small matter of office politics, which is your 12th studio album. It's out in a couple of weeks' time. Um, it's been exciting for everybody to hear it. Is it 12th? Oh. Um, yeah, that makes me think, what am I going to do for the next album? I think we might have to jump to 14th for the next one. <laughs> um, I'm excited. I'm excited for everyone to uh, have to listen to 60 minutes of the Divine Comedy instead of the usual 44-odd. <laughs> Um, yes, double album, two bits of vinyl. Very, very excited because I always wanted to make a double album. When did you know you were going to make a double album? I mean, does, did you just decide that you're going to make a double album? Or do you realize, God, I've got a lot of songs? <laughs> <laughs> there, there was a tremendous amount of songs. And that's not like me. I usually write 13 and put 12 on the album, you know? So uh, actually, most of these were kind of written at the same time as uh, the last record, Foreverland. And they kind of divided into two camps. And I, I put out the ones that sounded more like the Divine Comedy first. And then I, I, I put all the sort of crazy synthesizer stuff to one side. <laughs> and this is it. Yeah. Um, I would have no idea what my um, usual listeners will make of it. But um, they should know by now that I, am, that I do what I want. Yeah. And you've uh, you booked to go on tour kind of in the autumn. Um, as I said, 12 records. How's it all cram into two hours? It's just impossible now. I've literally got to the stage where uh, I I annoy everyone by leaving out one of their favourite tracks. Yeah, all the audiences go away empty-handed, <laughs> feeling slightly duped. Um, uh, with this record, you know, I was considering, well, it's, it's very much a kind of a, a whole, an item, you know, the 16 tracks. Should I play the whole thing? And I thought, like, then there would only be another, like, eight songs in the whole show, and now then there would be a small ride. So uh, literally, you know, do about eight from the new album, and um, then kind of... You do like to kind of pick songs from the back catalogue that bear some sort of maybe thematic relationship to the new record. So I thought Commuter Love from Fantasy Eclo would be good, and um, maybe... Uh, Come Home Billy Bird from Absent Friends. They're, they're all kind of uh, workplace songs. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, for your inspiration, you have chosen to talk about Kate Bush, um, which is odd given we here at HMV are in the meeting room, which is named after Kate Bush. So Lis- listeners, this is the most fantastic coincidence. <laughs> we, 
I came in here, uh, I just randomly told them this mor- uh, yesterday that I was going to do Kate Bush, and they have an entire room dedicated to Miss Bush. It's extraordinary. I am put- placing my cup of tea on a Kate Bush coaster. <laughs> Whatever next. So, I mean, you grew up in, in Skilling, in, in Northern Ireland. Yeah. And how did you discover Kate Bush for the first time? I mean, was it heard on the radio, or a friend give it to you? Or? It was literally... Uh, you know, tuning into Top of the Pops, as usual, and seeing this extraordinary vision. Was it 1977, uh, Wuthering Heights? You know, it was number one, and it came out of absolutely nowhere. Nobody had heard of her. And uh, suddenly she was, you know, doing the whole wavy arm dance with the flowy dress. And, um, uh, you know, I would have been, what, six or seven. I'm not that old. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I, I, I remember it as if it were yesterday. It was a very sort of uh, magnetic kind of opening um, performance, you know, debut on, on TV. Uh, everybody was talking about it, I remember. And um, I didn't even know, you know, what Wuthering Heights was at the time. That, was, that came later. <laughs> uh, but I remember suddenly there was a rash of impressions because the 70s was all about impressionists. <laughs> and if the, the the few lady impressionists there were automatically did Kate Bush you know that was just the 70s kind of impression so did you kind of keep up with her from then on or did it have a few years off because obviously at the start of her career she was very productive and then it slows down quite a lot she, she sort of popped into our consciousness every now and again after that you know with uh, a huge amount of incredibly cool singles but you know it was always slightly bubbling under but Babushka was a massive hit I remember and um, but I always had a, a real soft spot for Army Dreamers that that was one that really kind of uh, I, I loved it because of it sounded a little bit like harpsichord and, and kind of uh, it had just a very strange kind of very intimate vibe to it um, and also they were dressed as soldiers, which I would have liked at that age. But yes, it was much later that I actually suddenly realised she was like one of my all-time favourites. Yeah, that, that came with The Hands of Love. Which is 1985, but I guess yeah. you'd have been 15. And Are you starting to write music at that point? Yeah. Um, yes, I was. And um, I, in fact, uh, I was writing songs from about 13. Uh, all awful you know, I mean, really diabolical. You will never hear them, even though I have a cassette with all of them on. <laughs> I'll, I'll, it'll be like Prince, I'll release it on my death. <laughs> and everybody will go, I wish he had kept it to himself. Mm. But, uh, yeah, um, the moment I, I saw... Now, I think Hands of Love was the first single, or was it Cloud Busting? I can't quite remember. But um, I was absolutely you know blown away by the whole thing the 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 sound of it her the voice just oh loved it so much and i've read in places that you pretty much wore out that record i mean do you still play it now yeah yeah i really do i go back to it a lot um you know it pretty much you know if you listen to what i've done my paltry efforts over the last 30 years you can really hear that album going on in it. You know, it's it's uh, 
I'm a sucker for the kind of the chugging cello um, and the kind of the slightly sort of repetitive building chord sequences. And, um, you know, it's all hands of love. Having heard that then as a kind of 15-year-old, did you then go back to the earlier records again? Um, no, funnily enough. But then, you know, there was no Spotify back then and I would have had to go and actually spend money on them, and I didn't have any. Yeah. <laughs> so I felt very lucky just to have that one cassette. It was a cassette. And, uh, and cassettes, as you might remember, wore out pretty fast. You know, if you've overplayed them, they kind of started to warp, and I think I did buy a second copy eventually. Certainly got it on CD the moment I got a CD player. And you start making music as a divine comedy in 1990, um, mm. when you were starting to make records, I mean... Well, by that, that stage, you know, I don't think I could have owned up to my Kate Bush kind of uh, fandom. Um, because in the late 80s, I drifted in naturally into the indiedom, you know, that I was just the pale floppy fringed indie kid listening to the Pixies and My Bloody Valentine, R.E.M., everything. You know, I was a massive ride fan and stuff like that. The things that, um, they were very, very romantic in a way, but they were just a wall of noise. And uh, kind of, no, nobody really talked about uh, Kate much in those days. <laughs> But then you know what it's like being a teenager. Things change overnight. And um, then I heard Scott Walker and my entire outlook changed. And I started to kind of revisit things that maybe I hadn't allowed myself to listen to as a sort of uh, teenager. It was very tribal back then. Very tribal. <laughs> it seems that kids these days are much more forgiving. I think they, they kind of have a much rounder taste, bizarrely. So when does it kind of come back around in a serious way? Mm. Basically, when I made my first proper full-length album, Liberation, in 93, um, that was when I suddenly... Uh, my band, such as it was at the time, they were two guys from back in Inniskillen, and they, they got tired of the whole thing, living in squats in Tottenham, and... Uh, you know, went off to university to have a proper life and jobs. And um, I went, great, I can do whatever I want. And I think um, when I was making Liberation, the, the spirit of uh, Kate, you know, was very strong in just the, the absolute kind of refusal to kind of play by any specific set of rules. Uh, you listen to especially the, the albums, you know, up to Hands of Love, and they're all over the place, you know? Literally, like, one moment it's, it's kind of uh, almost new wave punk, and then the next minute it's a sort of massive Radio 2-friendly ballad, you know? And, um, of course, they would have been Radio 1-friendly ballads back then. Um, and everything in between, and so many different spurious influences, you know? It's got a song called Delius, and I thought... Huh. you know, cut from the same cloth that you can mention classical composers and not be, you know, ridiculed. Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So, so liberation was, as its name suggests, just a, I'm going to do whatever I want. And then on promenade, the, the year after, I really went to town on the chugging cellos. <laughs> yeah, several of the songs on that would owe a lot to Hands of Love. Now you, you've covered both Hands of Love and Wuthering Heights in your live show. Um, How embarrassing. Um, but I don't believe you've ever recorded them, so it's because you couldn't well, face sitting down and arranging it. Wuthering Heights, I couldn't even do now, because I, I used to do it literally in 1994. Uh, I remember... The, my first proper tour was supporting Tori Amos and um, I, I did Wuthering Heights I don't know why uh, but I used to do the first verse like down here then the second verse up here and the third verse I was literally doing it in her register just like this crazy falsetto that I could do at the time uh, and that's what made it worthy of performance but I couldn't possibly do get that high now yeah um no I don't think I'll be doing that again in a hurry I did Hands of Love quite recently actually uh, I remember doing it on a few um festivals like in Portugal and places like that um and I loved doing it but I was surprised how difficult it was to sing and you know you always think you know these things inside out when you're listening to them and then when you come to do it, you think, Mike, this is harder than I, it looked, mm. you know? And, um, yeah, I, I, I would only ever record something, a, a cover, if I thought I was going to somehow, you know, give it a life of its own. And I don't want to do that to her <laughs> songs. <laughs> They've got lives of their own already. Obviously, How to Love and, and the songs like that are the, the big ones. They're the ones most people tend to know. Is there kind of a hidden gem that you know you think is underappreciated within a catalogue, especially from those kind of really early years like Lionheart? Mm, mm. I think I'm going to choose Suspended and Gaffer <laughs> from the Dreaming. It's the strangest title I think of any song I've ever heard, and you listen to the song and you're none the wiser. Not a clue what it's about, but like a lot of that album, the Dreaming. It's quite challenging, you know, sonically. It, it's, uh, uh, they, they did well to find, you know, a couple of reasonably... Well, the fact that Sat in Your Lap was, was a, a single from the record shows that they were really struggling to find a radio-friendly song because that's pretty far out in itself. I love it. But, uh, you know, people know Sat in Your Lap better and I'd like to point them towards Suspended in Gaffa, which is... A lot weirder, but it's still as catchy as you like, you know? It's an extraordinary record, but it's a, it doesn't quite hold together the way that, you know, uh, Hands of Love does. I mean, another part to ask about is, you know, things that are brushed over. But I, mean, I don't know with an artist like Kate Bush catalogue if there is that period. There's not a kind of hopelessly drugged up period where everything goes wrong <laughs> or, you know... Where someone... No. Or a hazily experimental album that they've since binned off. It's, you know, it's... It gets so infrequent after a while that you don't know if there is that kind of period. Everybody has a different opinion about late period Kate Bush. You know, that, that's kind of... It's always difficult to come back after so long and for everybody to kind of concur with the direction that she's decided to go in. Um, you know, my, uh, my period is definitely uh, sort of... The Dreaming, Hands of Love, 
the sensual world. Uh, even by the red shoes, I was uh, not completely with it, you know. But as we all know, uh, even the artists we are we love to the point of obsession. In fact, almost more with those artists, you kind of start to really kind of judge one against the other. <laughs> and um, it's really not fair. But the fact is she's made, you know, numerous, numberless kind of awesome, challenging, uh, you know. How, how do they get to be that weird and still be so catchy and so poppy sometimes? It's an extraordinary talent. I mean, I guess from, well, she toured once in 1979, didn't she? And then not again for 35 years. Did, did you get the chance to catch that before the dawn? I did, I did. What was that like? Oh, my God. I just, um, it was one of the few times that uh, I was like, um, you know that bit at the end of um, the ninth wave? I don't know whether you managed to see it. Um, she was sort of carried like, uh, you know, an ancient sort of Wagnerian princess away from the stage through the audience and I was like I was right there <laughs> no it was fantastic funnily enough the night that we went um, the whole show was like almost called off because the whole electricity power failed in, in the historic Apollo and um, it was like is it gonna go on have I travelled all this way for nothing and um, then yeah an hour and twenty or something like that later she took to the stage like the trooper she is and uh, oh, it was fantastic loved it did it live up to expectations? it was uh, awesome just to see her perform like in front of me I think it really is uh, you know a forgotten art less is more and um, she has been painstaking in sort of keeping herself sort of away from mainstream media really even when she was you know, full-on star in the in the eighties. Um, she, she it, it was rare that you'd see her interviewed, and um, yeah, it definitely added to the mystique. Um, I don't think you can make that many. Uh, it's all about the records at the end of the day, and um, yeah, uh, the Babushka video. You know, the costumes, the. And the dancing, and then you know, uh, running up that hill, were pretty sort of uh, staggering visually, and things that you didn't see all the time. Um, there, there was so much thought put into the choreography. It always made me kind of slightly jealous because I really, you know, I have no sense of movement, let alone dancing. Uh, so that was always an avenue that was cut off to me. But you do have a sense of theatricality. And do you think do you attribute yeah, that I, down to her? I like dressing up. <laughs> yes, that, and yeah, I think she'd have probably a lot to do with that. Now that you come to mention it, her and Adam and Adam Ant and people like that. Um, it's important. Uh, it's an important thing in pop music to to realize that it it is kind of meant to be somewhat about enjoyment and kind of uh, a real kind of um, spectacle as well as just, uh, you know, playing some nice tunes. And I do, I do see a slight uh, dearth of spectacle, apart from, obviously, your, your Beyoncé's and people like that. But then that's just all spectacle. And <laughs> can you, aside from your own music, can you 
I mean, when you turn on the radio or see other people at festivals, can you hear a lot of her and other artists as well, do you think? I don't pay enough attention to contemporary music, mm. but I'm sure she, her influence has gone into, you know, the entire history of music. You know, she, she, she was very important in, in the development of pop music. And so in that regard, yes, of course. I and mean, as you said, there was, there was the tour in 2014, and previously before that, the last albums were in, in 2011. And obviously, as spoken to earlier, we haven't heard from her in quite some time. Do you get the sense that we may never hear from her again? I don't know. Um, it's possible. I have a, a, you know, a slight window into sort of the mentality, and um, I, I, I really like the fact that she can do whatever she wants, yes. you know. <laughs> um, and also, you know, she's, she's proved everything she needs to prove. I'm sure she wants to write more music. I would be surprised if nothing else happened, you know. Uh, I was very surprised when, you know, new records started emerging, you know, 10 years ago or whenever. Um, so uh, now that that's happened, I feel like she obviously enjoys doing it and it's not going to stop. But maybe I'm wrong. I mean, you talked a lot about Hounds of Love. Would you say that is Kate Bush's ultimate masterpiece? And if people take away one record from this, is that the place to start? Well, yes, I would say that Hounds of Love is a masterpiece. I think it's for other people to decide whether it's their masterpiece of hers. But um, I, apart from anything else, I absolutely love the way it's constructed, the way it flows. Um, if I start at the beginning, I very rarely can stop until I've listened to the, the end. Um, and, um, you know, the first side is that sort of wonderful kind of... Uh, um, you know, all those songs seem to sort of hold together, and it is hit after hit after hit. Uh, but then the second side it becomes much more conceptual, and um, it takes you on uh, quite an incredible journey. So um, none of her other records do that for me. Uh, so, And I would suggest it's a very good way in, at least. And if you had to pick a favourite track? <laughs> I'm going to say Hands of Love because um, sometimes if I'm sort of feeling down, I would put that on and it always, you know, kind of just, it, it's so full of just extreme uh, life and sort of grasping emotion, kind of trying, like trying to reach something, you know, and being the fear and the, the kind of, the running, it, it's just got so much energy in it. And not all positive, but just really dynamic and pushing forward. And it just makes me feel something that I can't get from anywhere else. Well, um, Neil Hannah, it's been, it's been a pleasure having you and letting us hear about your inspiration. And thank you very much for coming. My pleasure. And if Kate ever hears this, I'm sorry that I talked such unadulterated <laughs> rubbish. <laughs> If you enjoyed today's episode, then why not join us next time when we'll be talking to Def Havana's James Vecchalodi about his love of the Smiths. To get that and the rest of the first series of my inspiration, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Full information on today's episode, as well as all the others, can be found on our website. Just visit hmv.com slash podcast for full details. <laughs>